You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. So like I said, I was, became a lawyer in 1976 before some of you were born, a lot of you were born. And I was ordained as a pastor six years later, uh, a man that many of you know, he's local, uh, was local, now he's in heaven, but... Uh, his, his beautiful uh, wife is here. I visited her yesterday. Tim LaHaye, he was on my ordination panel. He wrote Left Behind series, if you're familiar with that. Um, and so even though I pastored a church for three years, as always a volunteer, my full-time job for 46 years has been a lawyer. Now, I'm telling you all this. It's going to lay a foundation because I want you to know this morning we're going to get to the pastoring part of this. Um, but I'm going to start with the lawyering side of the house to describe a problem that every family faces at some point. And then we're going to turn to the Word of God to find out what the solution to that problem is. So that's, that's what we're going to do. Now, but I've got another preface before we get into all that, and that is I want to ask you to pray. In fact, I want to ask you to uh, consider participating in an ongoing prayer ministry that our organization, Alliance Defending Freedom, has. We call it the Prayer Alliance, and we'd like you to be a prayer partner to that. And... We have two immediate things we want you to pray about. One is, as I'm sure you know, the Supreme Court heard in arguments the decision uh, heard arguments in December in the case of Dobbs versus Mississippi Women's Health, and that case has the very real prospect of reversing Roe versus Wade. Wow. And um, the organization that I have the privilege of leading today, ADF helped draft the, the law that Mississippi passed, and we did it deliberately to set up the challenge to Roe versus Wade. And God has clearly answered that component of the prayer of setting the challenge up. Now, whether we win or not yet is to be determined. And after listening to the oral argument in, in that case, I am as encouraged as lawyers are allowed to be. We lose our license if we go too far into encouragement. And, and so, but I'm as encouraged as can possibly be that the court is clearly going to rule in favor of the Mississippi law in some respect. But whether they go all the way to reverse the uh, Roe versus Wade is not as clear. But I, I think it's just a tremendous opportunity and possibility that they're going to do the whole thing and reverse Roe versus Wade. Now, the decision has been made, but nobody outside the Supreme Court knows what it is. They're right, they, they vote on, on every case that's argued in the Supreme Court, they vote on it that week, usually on Friday, sometimes on Wednesday, depending on some factors. But so Friday of that week in, in December, they voted. So they know what the outcome is. But it's not final until that vote is released. And so we want to keep praying because people can switch your votes. And we want to keep praying. So I urge you to pray for that case. We have a prayer guide that you can get. And I'll tell you how to do that in a minute uh, for this case specifically. But also a second case I want to encourage you to pray for. This past Monday, the Supreme Court granted certiorari, which means they're going to hear in full one of our cases that we, we brought called 303 Creatives versus Colorado. And in that case, it's going to settle once and for all what happens when freedom of speech and freedom of conscience conflict with LGBT rights laws. And so, um, you know, this, our clients like Jack, we represented Jack Phillips, Masterpiece Cake Shop case in the Supreme Court of the United States. In fact, all the way through, but again in the Supreme Court of the United States. We won Jack 
this case, through the Lord's blessing, 72, but is on kind of a, a side issue and not the central issue we're really aiming for. This case puts the central issue and only the central issue right back into focus. We're coming after it again, and we'd ask you to pray for that case. Now, we have uh, the ongoing ministry is not merely to pray for these cases. It's to pray for America in specific ways, and that is, is that America will be pro-life. America will honor religious freedom. America will honor freedom of speech. America will stand up for God's definition of marriage. And that America will protect the rights of parents to raise their kids to be godly kids. So those are the five, we call them generational wins. So if you'd like to pray for America in that way, and we send out weekly prayer reminders to pray for America in one of these, these five ways, and we rotate which one we're going to emphasize, you can go to our website, adflegal.org, adflegal.org, and there's a prayer initiative um, button at the top you can click on. And, and join up for the prayer initiative. We also have some materials at the information booth about the prayer initiative, so you can get that as well as you want. So that's what we're doing, and we'd encourage you to pray. Today we're going to talk about the last of those five things I pointed about. That's parents' rights and education. And I want to talk to you to demonstrate, before we do that, though, I want to finally demonstrate to you how God does answer prayer. And specifically in this arena. Now, many years ago, I was working in Washington State, leading a Christian organization called Moral Majority of Washington. I founded that state organization. Uh, it was affiliated with the national group. And we um, uh, had the lottery come into Washington State. And I decided that that wasn't a good idea. And I, I, I wasn't successful uh, on stopping it. But we're going to stand up for what's right in the meantime. And the lottery's a tax on poor people. It is really, you know, disproportionately hurtful, and it's get-rich-quick schemes, all kinds of issues with lotteries. And so I stood up against it, and there was this radio host that called himself Mad Dog Demet. He got on the, the radio and started bashing me. And somebody told me that, you know, he's on the air doing this right now. He called me up. My friend told me. He said, in fact... The reason that this Ferris guy is, uh, is leading this charge against the lottery is he wants little old ladies to send them money, and they're going to end up eating cat food. Now, I hate cats. And, and so, um, so, you know, that offended me to say that. And so I, um, I you know, went and got on the phone, called him up, got on the air, started debating him, and he said, you know what, you're pretty good over the, over the phone. Are you man enough to come into the studio and do this face-to-face? -face? And I said, you bet. Now, now think about that for a second. I'm opposing gambling. First words out of my mouth are, you bet. And, and so we made the appointment live over the air. It was like 10 days later. It was Monday morning at 10 o'clock, and the station was just promoting this thing like mad. You know, moral Mike versus the mad dog. Be there Monday, 10 a.m. And so, you know, so the morning of the event, our team got together and we prayed. And we prayed a hedge of thorns around Mad Dog that he would lose his way and that God would protect the time. And one of the guys on my team said, Lord, as a special sign of your blessing, give Mike a chance to share the gospel over the air. So I show up, I, Tacoma at the radio station. I meet Mad Dog, you know, 15, 20 minutes ahead of time. And he tells me that his name is Jerry. 
I felt better about his parents. And, um, and I, um, you know, I thought, you know, this is the way Mike Wallace was. I'd been on a show with Mike Wallace once, uh, debating Judy Bloom, that kid's author. And uh, Captain Kangaroo came on and did a commentary against me. And so it was kind of a fun day. But, but, but um, Mike Wallace was real nice until they turned the cameras on. And I'm thinking, this is the way Mad Dog's going to be. So I'm not falling for this. So we go in the studio and, you know, he introduces the program. And he says, okay, Mike, we're here for our, our debate. Now, so you're against the lottery. Tell us why. You know, real straight. You know, no, you know. It's great. And I, so I told him, he said, that's interesting. Let's take some calls because the, the switchboard was just going, mang, mang. It, 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 the people were just jumping all over the phones. First call comes in. This lady says, I am so sick and tired of hearing about you born-again Christians in politics. I'm a Christian too. And if Jesus Christ knew what you're doing, you'd roll over in his grave. <laughs> true. Absolutely true. I wanted to go to her church on Easter, you know. And she said, but I don't want to know anything about politics. What I want to know is what does it mean to be born again? So I told her the whole thing. And, and so I thought, when's Matt Dog going to say something? And he didn't, you know, he just took another call. And about two calls later, this guy said, Mad Dog, what's come over you this morning? You've let this guy turn this show into a religious harangue. Next thing he's going to be doing is giving an altar call. Well, I already thought I did. And, uh, and I thought, well, here comes Mad Dog now. And he, he said, you leave him alone. He was asked the question. He had the right to answer it. And I kind of liked his answer anyway. This went like this for two hours. And at the end of two hours, rather than talking about little old ladies and cat food, Mad Dog said, well, you know what? I agree with this guy. Not, not everything, mind you, but a lot. If you agree with him, send him some money. Here's his address. God answers prayer. So I want to urge you, I want to urge you to pray. So we're going to talk about parents and children and education this morning. There's six points we're going to go through pretty quickly. First is we're going to look at some problems that we're seeing today in public education. Second, we're going to see the impacts, particularly the spiritual impact that ha happens on the lives of kids from this approach to, to education. Third, we're going to ask the question, what does God say about parents' duties with respect to the education of their children? And fourth, we're going to say, well, in light of that, what do you need to do? What do I need to do about that? Fifth, what will the world say? How will the world react to our, our choices? And then finally, when we consider all the evidence, what will God do in response to the world's coming attacks? So those are our points we're going to get through. So let's get to the first one. Let's look at the problems that we're seeing in public education today. There's a man that we represent, his wife, Carlos Ibenez, and his wife, Tatiana. They were born and raised in Panama. They immigrated to the United States in 2000 uh, to pursue further training. They're both dentists, and they got graduate, extra graduate training at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Um, they appreciated their heritage in Panama. Um, they had lived under a political dictatorship, though, and Carlos's cousin, in fact, was arrested, tortured, and killed for speaking out against the Panamanian government. And they believed, you know, they wanted freedom, but they also believed there were more doors be open for their children if they were raised here. 
So they wanted to stay and benefit from what they expected to get from American public schools. So they, they came legally, they stayed, they were very successful, and they live now in Albemarle County, Virginia. In spring of this past year, they learned about a racist program that was introduced in, in the schools in their daughter's classroom. Their daughter, who was in seventh grade, called their mom from school. Was, she's upset because of two anti-racist, so-called, videos that were shown in her um, language arts class there in the public schools in Albemarle County. The first video compared the lives of two hypothetical students of color compared to the life of a hypothetical white student. And the video indicated that students of color can't live in big houses, their parents can't be successful, they can't go to good schools, they can't have successful careers because according to this video, that's only possible for white Americans. Now, this daughter's upset. She's Latina. She's supposed to be the oppressed people, but her parents have been very successful. And she's confused because according to them, her skin color keeps her as a victim permanently. But she'd been taught that in America, you can achieve if you'll try hard, no matter what your skin color is. After the parents saw the video, they concluded correctly, this is racist. You are teaching our kids racist material. And second video was also very troubling. And that, that video uh, denigrated the family's Christian faith. The video told a story of a Latino father and his homosexual son. The video produced by the truly hateful organization called the Southern Poverty Law Center portrayed the father as an antagonist because he did not immediately affirm the son's homosexuality. Now, the video blamed this on the father's Christian faith. And the message was clear that if you're a Christian, you're a hater. That's, that was the message they're getting across. That upset the family as well. Now, there's a lot more facts to all this in Albemarle County. There are a lot more families involved, but you get the drift. This is what's going on. We know this so-called anti-racist stuff is properly called critical race theory and critical gender theory. And the first part, the race theory part, is contrary to the Bible's teaching about the races. All men are created equal. There was a biblical principle in our Declaration of Independence. And we were affirmed that message by men like Martin Luther King Jr. and Frederick Douglass. And they taught that all of us are created equally. And Martin Luther King famously said, I don't want my children judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And that is the way it should, should work. The second part of critical theory tells students that they've got to reject the teaching that God has created us male and female, and that marriage should be between one man and one woman. And the school doesn't hide the fact that they're trying to get students to believe this worldview. They're not giving them alternative facts. They are conducting an indoctrination program. We have sued the school district because the Constitution of the United States makes it clear that no government, no government can forcibly indoctrinate anybody in anything, especially not something contrary to your deeply held religious beliefs. And... As you all know, I'm pretty sure, this is not an isolated incident. It's not one school district in, Al I mean, in Albemarle County. 
This is happening in the vast majority of school districts across the country. If you think it's not happening in your school district, you're probably mistaken about that. We've got a number of additional cases in the transgender area where schools are deliberately trying to change kids' sexual identity. I, I, I personally think that school counselors, it's kind of like a little competition. They get a notch on their belt. If they flip somebody, now they're, they're cool. They're, they're, you know, I've helped this kid do that. Well, they are trying to effectively practice medicine because gender dysphoria is a serious matter. And it's a, it requires compassionate and appropriate parental involvement and medical treatment. And so they aren't licensed to practice medicine. They are not competent. They're amateurs. And they are trying to pr uh, push off a worldview in the name of helping kids. It's, it's nonsense. We have sued two school districts who do this kind of indoctrination. And in fact, they have policies. One of them in Wisconsin has an explicit written policy. All the teachers and other professionals in the school are supposed to lie to parents if the, if the parents ask pointed questions about what's going on. They're supposed to tell them falsehoods. And this approach, this worldview approach, controls public education pretty much everywhere. And that worldview is pretty clearly contrary to the word of God. Yeah. And, and, you know, educational excellence has been set aside. We're into worldview as the dominant force in this kind of education. So let's point two. What's the impact on the worldview and the spiritual beliefs of kids in general, but particularly born-again kids, by this kind of an approach to education. Now, what's been going on in public education has been bad for a long time, to be frank about it. But it's a lot worse in the last five years, particularly in the last couple of years. And what, with this, the situation I would describe back when I started litigating this in the late 70s is it was secular in the sense we're going to ignore God and we're going to push other ideas. We're not, we're not deliberately trying to undermine God, at least in a very you know, easy way to trace. It was under the radar, pretty subtle. Under the radar and subtle is gone. This is open. This is overt. This is clearly anti-God trying to push a new worldview. And I'm going to give you some, some statistics. But I want you to know that the statistics are about people. Uh, the first group's going to be about teenagers. But it was taken a couple, three years ago. Oh, more than that, a few years ago. And, but the newer statistics that I'm going to use from last year are about millennials, 18 to 20 or 18 to 30-year-olds. And that's going to show kids who were raised mostly in the subtle era. So that as bad as these stats are going to be, if we were to do this five years from now and get the stats of mature kids coming through the schools today, it'd be even worse. So hang on to your hats. And we'll see what's going on. So the first slide tells us about teenagers. And 9% of born-again teenagers, now let me pause and ex explain to you what George Barnett does in, in talking about born-again people. Because he doesn't allow anyone to just say uh, that they're born again. Rather, what they have to do is, he asks this question, yes or no to this question. When I die, I am certain I will go to heaven, but only because I have confessed my sins and have accepted Jesus as my savior. A really good definition. And if you say yes to that, he labels you as born again. By the way, if you've never said that to, yes to that in your life, 
This morning would be a great time to do that because that's the most important decision you'll make anytime. Okay, so we're going to talk about people who said yes to that question, all right? So get that, you know, on your framework. Of, of that, 9% of the people said yes to, to Jesus, said, yes, I've confessed my sins. They believe that there are absolute values. 91% believe in moral relativity. That's, you know, shameful, just shameful. And when they ask, how do you make your moral decisions? 12% of born-again teenagers said they make their moral decisions based on the Bible. The vast majority say, whatever makes me feel good or what my friends want me to do. It's, it should not be. So let's go a, a little deeper and look at some, this newer study about millennials. Now we'll start with some, some stats about millennials in general. Uh, Two-thirds of young adults uh, align themselves with the Christian faith. This is in general. This is you know, not just born-agains. It's any alignment whatsoever with the Christian faith. A quarter of millennials aren't associated with any faith at all. Now keep this in mind because you're going to see there's not much difference between the two groups. The next slide shows us that the majority of millennials, it's about three-fourths, reject absolute moral truth and instead say that uh, feelings, experiences, and advice from family and friends is the source for moral guidance. That's, you know, that's not consistent with their identification with Christianity. The um, next one shows that three out of four millennials believe that all religious faiths are of equal value, which, of course, if two-thirds of them identify as Christians, they ignore what Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The final one says that three out of four millennials said they are still searching for their purpose in life. Well, no wonder. If you reject the real truth about Jesus, yeah, you're going to be searching for purpose in life for a long time. So let's go a little deeper into the, the same study about born-again millennials. 67% of born-again millennials uh, affirm the statement, there are no moral absolutes. Instead, they, they do it based on relativity. 75% of born-again millennials say that their most trusted source of moral guidance is their own feelings, experiences, and input from family and friends. Not the Bible. 77% of born-again millennials affirm that the Bible is the actual true word of God and that it is relevant and reliable guide for life these days. Now, that should be 100% yeah. if they're really born again. But 77% said that. But then 75% of them don't base their morality on the Bible. So, you know, they're in conflict all over the place. But let's go deeper on one particular one that just troubles me to no end. What do they think about God? Who is God? So that was one of the questions of the survey. Who is God? 5% of millennials who say that they're born again say that everyone is God. 14% say that God refers to the total realization of personal human potential or a state of high consciousness that a person may reach. New agey stuff. 5% of born again millennials say there are many gods, each with a different purpose and authority. 16% born-agains, say that a higher power may exist, nobody knows for certain. One percent who say they've confessed their sins and asked Jesus to be their Savior say there is no God. Wow. What? Four percent of born-agains are agnostics. They don't know if there's a God. 
56% said God is the all-powerful, all-knowing, perfect, just creator of the universe who rules the universe today. That's the right definition of God. But only 56% get it, and they claim to be born again. Well, you know what Jesus said. You may have said, Lord, Lord, depart from me, I never knew you. It's going to be the reality for a whole bunch of these people. Now, Barna's study goes into the political views, the legal views of this group, and they're bad. They're just bad. But as much as that is important to me, that pales in comparison. If you don't get God right, if you don't get the Bible right, if you don't get more basic morality right, Who's surprised that you don't get politics, right? You know, the Bible says, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. If you haven't acknowledged God about who God is, you're, whatever flows downstream from that, you're messed up. Brothers and sisters, this should not be. So let's take a look at the word of God and see what God has to say about all this. We're going to start in Romans chapter 1, in verse 28, and go for a few verses. It says, furthermore, since they, just as they did not think it was worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. You start off by ignoring God. We don't think it's worthwhile to retain the knowledge. We're, we're going to be secular. We're going to leave God out. What happens? You get a depraved mind. So they, they do what ought not to be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters. You start off ignoring God, you end up hating God. That's how it works. Insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those, those who do such things deserve death, they not only conti continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Pretty heavy stuff. Then we go to the great, greatest commandment in the Bible. We know it's the greatest commandment because Jesus told us it was the great, greatest commandment. Deut Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Now, the most important commandment in the Bible is followed by what? Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Now... How important is the command to teach your children to love God? It is so important. It immediately follows, I would tell you, is a part of the most important commandment in Scripture entirely. Brothers and sisters, I would submit to you that it is inconsistent with your duty to teach children to, your children to love God, to send them to institutions that are going to teach them to hate God. That just should not be. So... Ephesians 6, starting in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Dads, you are especially responsible. Look at the Proverbs says, do not forsake the teaching of your mother. God assumes that mom's going to teach. You know, you don't have to command a mom to teach your kids. That's like commanding you to breathe. You're going to breathe. Moms are going to teach their kids. 
But dads had to, had to get a commandment. Um, <laughs> fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So, number four, what are you going to do? What are you going to do in light of all this? First place to start is with your own heart and soul. You need to ask yourself, do I have an accurate biblical worldview? Proverbs 3, 6 says, in all thy ways, acknowledge him. There's not an asterisk and a footnote at the bottom of the page that says, well, in all thy ways just means, you know, what you do on Sunday. No, it's what you do every day of the week. It's your economics. It's your job. It's the way you raise your family. It's the way you vote. Everything you do is to be acknowledged and to do it the way God wants you to do. That's what you're supposed to do. Second, you need to assess where your kids are in their actual worldview. Now, even if you are homeschooling your kids, even if you send them to this, this school, uh, church's wonderful Awaken Academy, um, whatever, you know, or some other Christian school, you still need to ask your kids, how are they doing? You need to check up on them. And, and especially if they're in public school, you need to find out what's going on in their hearts and souls and mind and make sure that they're not one of these statistics I've just read to you. Number three, you need to, uh, to look at your kids' schooling and, and say, what am I going to do with my kids? What, what, what's the right thing to do? And I would encourage you, if at all possible, give your kids some kind of Christian education, whether it's just church's academy, whether it's homeschooling, some other Christian school, if at all possible, you need to get your kids in a place that will teach them to love God. Fifth question is, how's the world going to react to what you do? Well, some of them aren't going to like it. Your family members may not like it. You still need to do what's right, even though you can expect pushback. Because, you know, the Bible says, all those who want to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. Second Timothy 3.12. And so you can you just count on, you're going to get pushback. So when you get pushback, what happens? What will God do in response? If we stand up for him, what will he do to defend us? I'm going to tell you a story to illustrate this. I frankly, if we had another five hours, I could tell you stories to fill the entire time. But I'm going to tell you one of my favorites. Now, when I was doing homeschool defense, legal defense, I did it for over 30 years. And I, um, uh, for many years, I was the entire trial department. We had three lawyers at the time, in the early days. And two of them did the office practice because 90% of the conflicts we were able to resolve without trial. You know, we'd write letters, you know, you know, that kind of stuff. Talk on the phone. We could get them resolved 90% of the time. 10% of the time, they'd go to trial. I tried all the cases. And um, so I was on a plane flying to Ohio, reviewing a file of this lady named Robin Deagle. And we, um, uh, I'd already written the brief and filed the brief in the court ahead of time. And I'd argued a traditional religious freedom argument based on my, my understanding, my, my colleague had told me, yeah, she's a, I'm sure she's a Christian, you know. So I'm looking in the file, looking at her religious statements, and I go, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure where this lady actually is. So I show up at her house the day ahead of the trial, and we sit out in her backyard, and it was a beautiful June day in Ohio. It's gorgeous weather, 
And we sat at the picnic table. I went through the various elements of the trial and asked her questions about her curriculum and everything and went through all that and got to the point that I needed to ask her about her religious beliefs so that I could lay a foundation for the religious freedom claims. And it was pretty obvious quickly that she had a respect for God, she had a respect for the Bible, but this lady was not saved. And so I shared the gospel with her. Uh, I'd been in, my wife and I were in the Navigators when we were first married, and they had a, a bridge diagram method of sharing the gospel that I still like. And so I, I used that, and she prayed to receive Christ. And I was really, really ex excited about it. And even though I'm from a um, Baptist background, I've been going to non-denominational churches for a very long time, but, but that's my background. And we never put emphasis on, you know, uh, the gift of prophecy. In fact, I've been running nonprofit organizations for 40 years. So, you know, I'm, I'm nonprofit. You get that's a joke. Thank you. Up there, you, you, you get you, okay. And uh, and so, so I told her, you know, I think God's going to do something powerful to welcome you to the family of God. You know, that sounds like prophecy, I guess. And and so I. Um, told her to start reading the book of John, say in the Bible, gave her some basic instruction. I was pumped. Show up at court the next day. The judge calls the lawyers into his chambers ahead of time. That's not unusual. He said, Mr. Ferris, I've read your brief. It's a good brief, but you're going to lose today. Now, you probably are right with me in thinking about the verses that came into my head right then from Deuteronomy. If the prophet says, thus saith the Lord, and it doesn't come to pass, you're supposed to stone the false prophet. <laughs> so I'm thinking that. I'm thinking, I'm not going to go tell Robin because she might not have stayed in the book of John. She might have strayed over into Deuteronomy, and I don't want to get, you know. And so, so I, the, all I could tell Robin was I, don't, I didn't have the courage to say anything other than, look, it's going to be hard today. That's what I said. And so the prosecutor put the superintendent on the stand, and it was my turn to cross-examine him after about 20 minutes. And when I cross-examine people, I don't have a list of questions. I have a list of topics because it's kind of, you have to flow with it a little bit. And I about three questions in, and a question jumped into my head I never asked in any other case ever, before or after. It's really kind of not a really good question normally. But the question was this, Mr. Prosecutor, or Mr. Superintendent, did you get any legal advice before you denied this family the right to homeschool? He said, well, I didn't talk to any lawyers or anything like that, but I talked to some government officials. I said, well, like who? Well, he said, like the judge here for one. <laughs> you know, I said, I said, you talked to this judge about this case before he ever went to trial? And he said, yeah. We won that case that day. If you do what's right, and if the world challenges you, God will defend you. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.